the newspaper uh, just to take a quick look. And of course, there are many ads in the newspaper on Sunday. And in fact, this weekend is perhaps a little extra special. I think there are a lot of sales on Memorial Day. And you pick up the paper and you see there an ad for something you can't quite believe. Tomorrow morning, first thing, one of the stores is selling a new computer for $19.95. What? A computer for less than $20. Are you kidding me? i got to get one of those. What are you going to do? Are you going to be there waiting for them to unlock the door in the morning? Well, if you want one, you will, right? You get a great offer like that, you're not going to postpone responding to the offer. You want to be there. You don't want to let that pass by. You would not say, for instance, well, it's a pretty good deal, and I need a computer, but I'll wait a few days. If they got any left, maybe I'll go and check it out Thursday or Friday. No, you're not going to do that. Something great and good, you're going to jump on that. You're not going to postpone. You're not going to put it off. You're not going to delay. You're going to act immediately. All right, now I want you to take that concept uh, to the Bible. I want you to take that concept of something good, you don't postpone, you don't delay, and I want us to go to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts in the New Testament, how many people you think were converted to Christ and their story is recorded in the book of Acts? A few, a handful or a few dozen? No. Actually, there's thousands of people that we're told were converted to Christ in the pages of the book of Acts. Thousands of conversions there. And you know what's common among those conversions? I think there's several things common, actually. But one of the things that's common among those conversions is, at least in the instances where the time factor is discernible, there was no delay. Again, the book of Acts tells of many who did not delay in being baptized. Let me give you just a few examples, again, of those where we know the time factor. In the text that Trent read for us earlier, from Acts chapter 2, verse 41... They that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. No delay. Look in Acts chapter 8, verse 36, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and his conversion. And as Philip was teaching him, right then, right there, I mean, this was the first occasion for him to be exposed to the truth about Jesus Christ. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he didn't delay at all, stopped his journey, and was baptized. In chapter 10 at verse 47, when Peter went to the household of Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, when he was teaching him, he asked the question, can any man forbid water now that these should not be baptized? I'm adding the word now because we know in the next verse they were baptized without delay. In Acts chapter 16, maybe one of the most memorable along this line, in Acts 16 verse 33, the Philippian jailer, the jailer took Paul and Silas, he took them, and the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes and was baptized in the same hour of the night, obviously without delay. In Acts 22, verse 16, when Ananias came to Saul of Tarsus, he said, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Why are you waiting? There's no reason to wait. Do this now, was the, was the concept. So, as we're saying... In the book of Acts, we've just got all kinds, multiple, thousands of conversions recorded. And in, inst in every instance where we can discern anything about the time factor, there was no delay in them being baptized. And so the question that we want to study this morning is, 
why were they baptized so soon? Since this seems to be a common thread there in the book of Acts, what was the reason? What required or what produced their immediate reaction? Why was their response so quick? Why were they baptized so soon? That's what we want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. Before we go further into our study, we'll stop just to say thank you for being here. We appreciate the presence of each one. Our number's down today because we just have so many who are gone visiting other places. Uh, we hope they have safe travels and come back to us quickly and safely, but we're especially appreciative of you who are here and the visitors that we have. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us in this period of Bible study and worship today. You know, we're moving into the summer season, and often in the summertime there are lots of other activities demanding our attention. Let us never lose sight of the fact that what we're doing here is the most important of things, and so uh, let everything else take a backseat to this. Well, we can do some other things, and we'll enjoy doing other things, but serving God, worshiping Him faithfully, those are the most important priorities, and let's make sure we keep those clear. Thanks for being here this morning. Our question is, why were they baptized so soon? I believe that we can say that they were baptized so soon because they were taught and they understood that baptism stood between them and something that they needed. It stood between them and getting to a point where they wanted to be. For instance, baptism stood between them and being saved. Being saved, that's what it's all about, right? That's what we're talking about here. And the question is, when does that happen? When is a person saved? Can you pinpoint the instant when a person has achieved salvation? Well, I think we can. I think the Scriptures do. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. I want to really emphasize to you here, Let me see if I can find a a pointer. I want to emphasize to you here this conjunction and in Mark 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. There's what we want. We want to be saved. I don't know anybody who disputes the idea that you need to to believe to be saved, right? Most everybody acknowledges you've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. But in this statement from Jesus himself, he used the conjunction and. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If it's necessary to believe, it's also necessary to be baptized in order to be saved. Isn't that so? You understand that kind of grammatical construction very easily. If I were to tell you, now I'm not making this offer, this is just an illustration, but if I were to make this offer, if you will come to my house tomorrow and shake my hand, I'll give you a hundred dollars. Now, what would you conclude from that? You have to come to my house, right? But you also know that you need to get your hand in my hand. You need to shake my hand to have $100, right? So you would understand that two things are necessary. Come to my house and shake my hand to get the $100. What's this? This is the same thing, right? You've got to believe and be baptized to be saved. If you want to get to that point right there, if you want to be saved, you have to be baptized. Baptism is not accomplished. I mean, salvation is not accomplished until you have been baptized. In First Peter chapter three, verse twenty-one, it's so plain, so simple. Peter says, "The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us." 
Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism now saves us. I'll tell you, if you can understand words, those words are easily understood. Baptism doth also now save us. And so, I would argue, in answer to our question, why were those people in the book of Acts, why were they baptized so soon? Because they understood that you're not saved until you've been baptized. Baptism stood between them and being saved. Baptism also stood between them and the remission of sins. This is another way to say it. We're going to say this several different ways this morning in our study. But another way of saying what is needed is that we need to have our sins forgiven. We've got the, we've got the sin problem, don't we? All of sin that comes short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We've all got the sin problem. That problem needs to be solved. Our sins are not remitted. They're not forgiven until we are baptized. If we don't get our sins remitted, we're going to go to hell. How do we get our sins remitted? Well, we have to be baptized in order for that to happen. Again, looking at the text that Trent read for us earlier in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, look at that verse again. And you see again this conjunction and. All right, here's the remission of sins. That's where we're trying to get to, right? What do you got to do to have the remission of sins? Well, you got to repent. And again, I think everybody typically agrees about that. You got to repent. Let's say, for instance, that uh, I've been a drug dealer. That's, that's the kind of wicked corruption that I've been involved in. But suddenly I realize... Uh, that I need to be saved. I need to have my sins forgiven. What do I got to do about my drug dealing days? I got to put that behind me, right? I've got to repent. I, gotta, I can't keep being a drug dealer if I want to be saved, if I want to have my sins forgiven. And so I got to repent. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change in action. I got to turn away from the sinful things I've been doing. People in the religious world acknowledge that as being true. You do have to repent. All right, so i got to repent to have the remission of sins. But notice, there's that conjunction and. If repentance is necessary to get to the remission of sins, then baptism is also necessary to get to the remission of sins. If you've got to repent to have your sins remitted, you also got to be baptized to have your sins remitted. If words mean anything at all, if, if we can understand grammar at all, that's what that verse is teaching. Those people understood that. They needed to be baptized to get to the point of the remission of sin. They also understood that baptism stood between them and the washing away of their sins. You get the idea of washing something away? When something is soiled, we wash it to get rid of the soil or the contamination. Water, we're told, is a universal solvent. At least that's the, the, the description that's put upon it. A lot of things are solved by just washing them in water. And you can wash a lot of dirt away in water. But when something is soiled, you wash it. All right? Now, what have we got in the case of baptism? Well, baptism washes away our sins. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, we have the Apostle Paul retelling the story of his own conversion. And so he's retelling it. It had happened years before. In this text, he's retelling the story. And he tells about a man that God sent to him. And this man, Ananias, came to him and said, 
Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He needed to have his sins washed away. Well, that's what we're talking about, right? You got contamination, you got dirt, you want to wash away something. You got to wash away your sins. Uh, when does that happen? At what point is it accomplished? Be baptized and wash away thy sins. Paul was in his sins. He still had his sins. His sins had not been wiped out or washed away until he was baptized. And those people back in the first century understood that baptism stood between them and accomplishing that, the washing away of sins. I believe they also understood that being baptized was necessary in order to be in Christ. Think about this expression, in Christ. What it is doing here is describing our spiritual location. A spiritual location. We, we understand the idea of a physical location. In these days and times, we have these GPS devices. Even your cell phone probably has a GPS uh, feature on it, whereby your location can be pinpointed. The satellites up there orbiting the Earth triangulate on where you are, and they figure out... Good ones can figure out within a matter of just a few inches exactly where you're located. We understand physical location. This is talking about spiritual location. Where are you located spiritually? Well, I would suggest to you that you are either spiritually located in sin or you are in Christ. Now, where would you rather be, in sin or in Christ? Well, if you want to be in Christ, you have to be baptized. Galatians 3.27 says... For as many as of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here's baptized into Christ. That's the significance right there. How do you get in Christ? You're baptized into Christ. That, that, that can't be missed, can it? It's so obvious. Now, again, to stress how important this is, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings, where? In Christ. So I need to be in Christ because that's where all spiritual blessings are. If I want all spiritual blessings, I've got to be in Christ. And how do I get in Christ? I'm baptized into Christ. You see that? Again, we need to stress that. People today need to hear that message. I believe those people back in the days of the first century, whose stories are recorded in the book of Acts, those people who didn't delay in order to be baptized, why did they do it so soon? Because they knew they needed to be in Christ, because spiritual blessings are in Christ, and the only way you can get there is to be baptized into Christ. I know of no other statement in the New Testament that tells how to get in Christ. The Galatians 3.27 says that we're baptized into Christ. That's where we need to be. Baptism then is necessary. You don't put it off. I believe the people in the book of Acts were baptized so soon because they knew that being baptized stood between them and receiving the benefits of Jesus' death. All of us understand and are hopefully very grateful for the fantastic work, the awesome, almost indescribable work that Jesus did for us when he died on the cross of Calvary, shedding his blood as a sacrifice for our sins. Uh, we talk about it frequently, and it is a very important thing. Cannot be overstressed. The work that Jesus did as he shed his blood and died at Calvary for our sins. It's a 
amazing, wonderful sign of God's love and grace toward us that He sent His own Son to be a sacrifice for our sins. Now, having said that, how do I share in the benefits of what Jesus did there when He died on the cross? How, how do I have the benefit of His death in my life? And I believe the answer to that is to be baptized. Baptism is the answer. We've been studying on Wednesday nights in the book of Romans, and just this past week talked about chapter 6, verse 3, where Paul says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. Again, here's baptized into Jesus, but baptized into his death. Now, we made the when we were studying this Wednesday night that we access the blood of Jesus at the point of baptism. This is not to say that baptism is the only thing to do. We're just saying that once we have fulfilled the necessary prerequisites and are baptized, that's when we are, are accessing the blood of Jesus. We are baptized into his death upon hearing and believing, repenting and confessing, and then being baptized. We have the benefits of Jesus' death. We access his blood at that point in time. Let's stress that. Let's make sure it's understood. Because some people falsely accuse us of suggesting that there's some sort of power in the waters of baptism. Some people say that we teach water salvation. That's not true. We teach salvation through the blood of Jesus, right? But we access that blood at the point of baptism. Baptism is not the only step in that process. It's not the only thing we have to do, but it is the culminating point at which we have the benefits of Jesus' death. His blood is applied to our sins in baptism. These people back in the book of Acts, I believe, understood and never did not delay to be baptized because they needed to be baptized to share in the new birth. In recent years, there's been, a, uh, I think, a renewed emphasis on the expression born again. Now, you even hear people described as born-again Christians, which actually is redundant. If you're a Christian, you've been born again. If you're born again, you're a Christian. So that's a rather redundant expression, born-again Christian. But there's been a lot of emphasis on being born again. That's not bad. Uh, that's actually very good, very important. Jesus is the one who taught that we have to be born again. You remember he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So... Born again is very important. question is how. How is a person born again? How do you have that new birth? Well, back again in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The newness of life takes effect. Born again. Resurrected to a new life. When we come out of the waters of baptism, that's just very plain. That's very important. And I think these folks understood that. That's when we're born again. That's when the new birth takes place. Under the teaching of the apostles, as recorded in the book of Acts, people understood that you have to be baptized to be in the one body, the church. A lot of people in our time downplay the importance of the church. I know you're familiar with that. You even hear people say, well, I don't have to be a member of any church. I'm just a Christian. Well, that doesn't work, does it? That just simply doesn't work. Why do we know that doesn't work? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So here, those who were saved 
they're inseparable, right? You can't be a saved person, truly saved, and not be in the church. When you're saved, the Lord adds you to the church. So you can't say it's unimportant to be in the church. You have to be in the church. Because if you're not in the church, you're not saved. If you're saved, you're in the church. Now, how do I get there? Well, in Acts chapter 12, verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Baptized into one body. We're baptized into the body. If you have any doubts about what the body is, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 teaches us that the church is his body. So the church is his body. We're baptized into the body. And therefore, we are in the church because we are saved people. But that's all essential. And baptism is when that is accomplished. You're not in the church until you are baptized. You're baptized into the one body. Let me suggest to you that the people in the book of Acts did not delay their obedience to be baptized because they knew that baptism stood between them and being children of God. I believe we all understand the concept of family. Uh, family is very important to us. Our family relatives and loved ones are very important to us. The whole concept of family is a, is a precious one to us. Well, certainly it ought to be special to us and precious to us to be in the family of God as well. How can I be in the family of God? How can I be a child of God? Well, look at the link between baptism and being in a family status with God. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 again, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We looked at that part earlier, baptized into Christ. But look at this. You are all the children of God in this process. We are children of God by faith in Jesus, the faith that leads us to be baptized into Christ. And so we are not spiritual children of God until we have been baptized. Now, I want you to look at that list for a minute. And I believe that we've answered the question, a pretty simple question. The answer to it is very important, but not hard to figure out. Back in the book of Acts, not just a handful of people, but literally thousands of people obeyed the gospel and became Christians. Their story is told in the book of Acts. Every time we can figure out the time factor, not in every case can you figure out the time factor, but when we can figure out the time factor, it seems that it was without delay. Immediate. They didn't put it off, postpone it, or procrastinate. They obeyed immediately. The questions asked then, why were they baptized so soon? Well, because they were taught, they understood, they knew that baptism had to be accomplished in order to be saved, have your sins forgiven, to wash away your sins, to be in Christ where all spiritual blessings are, to have the benefits of His death, His blood applied to our sins, to be born again, to be added to the one body, the true church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to be called a child of God. Those are all important things, right? And baptism stands between the those things. What's your situation this morning? Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you been baptized for the remission of sins? Really, have you been baptized for all the reasons that we talked about this morning? If not, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. Why would you postpone it? The people in the book of Acts did not delay. When they saw that this was what they needed, they responded immediately. Will you respond in humble obedience to the simple gospel plan of salvation? We hope that you will. If you're ready to obey the gospel, we'd be anxious.
and happy to assist you in not obedience. You just let us know. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, please come back to the Lord in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand. Song. I am the